0: I think that alternative communities are potential role models for the game and I think that they are great experimental situations for us to examine a lot of our ideals when they're made manifest and it's hard to run a community when you have only individuals that has to be the sense of surrender into the common good as well.
1: Hey everyone, it's Rago. I'm back with Ramdas here and now, a new episode. And before I get into it, a couple of announcements. Uh, one is that we have this wonderful new book, Whisper in the Heart, that's coming out in August and it's ready for pre orders, which really help us when you pre order the book. It starts to put it on the map so that the people who carry these books, uh, our books in particular, will make sure they're well stocked so they. People can find them. So this is a, a nice contribution if you can do it, pre-order it. Um, and to do that, by the way, you just go to shop.ramdas.org and uh, you click through the main ban- banner to the pre-order. And this book is done by Parvati Marcus, the mother of my children, who put that wonderful book together. Love Everyone, about all of our stories of getting to India back in the day. Um, that's a marvelous book, by the way, if you don't have it. Also available in the shop. Uh, but um, this book tells the stories of people who met Neem Karoli Baba after he left that body. He And, and Maharaji always said, A true guru, it's not necessary to mate in the physical body. And this book proves it. It shows all the myriad of ways in which he contacts his devotees, you know, through direct, directly in physical presence, through dreams, through visions, through a book. It's amazing. So uh, there's just great stories in this book. So again, just go to... uh, what is it, shop.ramdas.org and click through the banner to the pre-order page. So that would be a great thing and a great help. By the way, there's a wonderful article that we sent uh, sent out the other day that Rachel Fisher put together, um, Caring for Family is a Spiritual Practice, which uh, has uh, a talk from Ramdas as well. Uh, very beneficial stuff. This was uh, much of what he talked about was how he went back to care for his father when he was moving towards the end of his life. So I just—it's just such a beautiful thing. I'd love to share it out with people. You can find it on Ramdas.org, or go in your mail. And if you're not getting mail from us, the wonderful newsletters that Rachel puts out every week, just make sure. It's not caught in the old spam bucket, okay? Take a look. And last but not least, a retreat, uh, August 25th through 29th in Boone, North Carolina, in the middle of the Blue Ridge uh, Mountains, is taking place then. It's headlined by Krishna Das, but Bob Thurman is going to be there, Sharon Salzberg via Zoom, East Forest with his fantastic music. Spring Washam, a wonderful teacher and uh, someone who's into both uh, meditative practice and shamanism, is going to be there. I will be there. Duncan's going to zoom in with me. And uh, as I said, East Forest will be there uh, with his partner uh, doing uh, movement practices in the woods. It's going to be delightful. And... Um, Nina Rao is going to be there, and she's going to do uh, join us in sessions and do her chalises. And uh, Benji Wertheimer is going to be there, phenomenal musician. He's going to be playing with Krishnadas, and he's also going to be doing something with his wife, Heather, um, doing some music from Shantala. Okay, here it is. This is a continuation of the last uh, podcast we did. It's with this guy, Duncan Campbell, that Ramdas appeared on his show Connections at KGNU in Boulder. This is from 1994. Uh, the first uh, question this is obviously a, something Ramdas was asked many, many, many times. It's cute how he describes it. Um, and that was how do you keep your head straight amidst all of the love that's being thrown at you, and uh, all the advice that's being asked for. It's weird because these days Ramdas isn't here, and I st- we get a lot of mail at info at dot org, and you know I collectively we try and answer as much of it as we can, and um, I. I'm sometimes left with the bag, so to speak, of trying to help as best I can. I am not Ramdas, but uh, one time I was uh, responding to a Q and A that a magazine had asked Ramdas for, and he said, "Look, you put some answers together, and I'll approve it. How about that?" And I did all of that, and then he turned to me uh, after I sent it to him. He called me, and he went, "Not bad." Not bad. That was that was a one of the great compliments from him, uh, to me. But uh, yeah, so he just talks about it, you know, that he's. Remember, he used to talk about how he's a rent-a-mouth, and sh- and people shouldn't confuse the cup with the tea. That was <laughs> oh, so great. Uh, what else is in here? Um, the re- oh, this is cool. The revolution in telecommunications and the information superhighway. Uh, someone asked what his thoughts on on that are. I mean. You know, he's, what he talked about was so right on for where we are at right now. It's just uncanny um, to, to hear. He explores the nature. How about this? He explores the nature of virtual reality and virtual reality community uh, and how that medium can affect our relationships. I mean, we're just talking now about, you know, the metaverse and how we should get involved, Love, Server Member Foundation, uh, to be able to hold satsang on the metaverse, he talked about it in ninety. What is it? Ninety three or ninety four? Um, anyhow, it, it's uh, the thing that struck me there. The these this particular phrase he used that that this might, he said, turn into a major democratization process that nobody is going to be able to control. Blockchain? Anyone? Unbelievable. Uh, what else? I'm just going to highlight a couple more things. Um, uh, the thing that, I'm, that strikes the bell with me in, in this, particularly in this talk, is him uh, talking about the cultivation of compassion, uh, where you appreciate what the mainstream consciousness is about and why those people are the way they are. Instead of making them into them, that they're a part of us. How do we get there? And that's that's been a, a project of mine with my friend Duncan Trussell through the, my mind rolling podcast. We are really getting to the bottom of uh, what we're doing, which Krishna has called the movie of me. So we're trying to get from the movie of me to the movie of us. And Ramdas addresses this directly. Um, wonderful, wonderful part of this talk, really. What else, oh, the other thing that struck me in here was uh somebody asked about uh christian they heard a Christian preacher on the radio feel like he was leading people astray uh and asked Ramdas if he ever had a chance to speak with christian- clergy and he said uh, he, he had spoken with them and found ways to connect around their love of the teachings of Christ without getting lost in Christianity well um when I first went to India, this is a famous story. Many of you already probably know this story, but, um, and it's been told by Krishnadas uh, as well as Ramdas. And that was, you know, you know, I, and so is Ramdas, and so is Krishnadas, come from Jewish heritage. And we went there. I never had read the New Testament, I had no uh, connectivity to Christ whatsoever. And the, one of the first things Maharaji said, Where's your cross? You're not wearing a cross. Ultimately, by the way, in the end, we kind of felt like, okay, when you're in the undivided state, there are no Jews and Christians. They all come from the same deal. You know what I mean? Jesus was Jewish, um, but one day I said to him, I, "I want," you know, I figured I've got my guru. I'm all set to go. Literally, in the first few days, I said. Uh, Maharaji, uh, instead of saying, can you give me a mantra, which would have maybe made things easier, I said, how do I meditate? And he stopped and he said, meditate like Christ. When he was on the cross, he felt no pain. He was lost in love. And then Ram Dass, who wasn't there in that moment, came along and I told him what had happened and said, you have a more convivial relationship with Maharaji maybe you can ask well how did christ meditate and he did that and the famous story maharaji just became that vibration of what christ is and he just tears came to his eyes as he, as he we were all like blown away and he kept saying over and over you don't understand he never died I mean over and over and over you don't understand he never died he was lost in love with every sentient being uh and he, you know he he was there for all of us we got such a huge download of the reality of Christ's complete selfless concern for others which is what Maharaji ultimately gave all of us during that time so thanks much everybody, thanks much for being here and being part of our podcast network, just go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and we have so many incredible teachers and uh, thought leaders and podcasts please do take advantage of them and we'll see you next time Ram Ram Let's
2: take some calls. Tank, you're on the
1: air.
3: Hi, uh, Ram Ramdas, I have a, a question for you. Uh, you're famous and uh, people want you to, everywhere to speak and they uh, listen to you as some kind of a, a channel for truth and ask you advice about how to live their lives and so on. How do you keep your head straight?
0: Well, uh, <clears throat> Or don't you? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's an interesting question. Uh, i only, uh, uh, when I start a lecture, I usually say that my name Ram Das means servant of God, but Ram is also an acronym acronym for rent-a-mouth. And that basically what I am is a mouthpiece for a process a lot of us are going through. And so I diffuse the idea that I know and other people don't, because I look out at my audiences of people I meet and they know what I know. It's just that I say it well. And I don't think that you should... uh, you know confuse the cup with the with the tea it's i'm the cup i'm not the tea and the tea is the eternal truth and all i got to do is get out of the way to do it and every time i get in the way and try to rip it off for my ego it turns into a very kind of empty form for me and i you know the early years i loved people throwing flowers in front of me and applauding and all that and then i began to see that i was still desperately lonely as a human being if i was going to count on that as my gratification so i really think i've grown beyond that now and i think it's an interesting issue to work with thanks
2: thank you tank i uh, also just wanted to share a story i was once at a conference with uh, john bradshaw and he was asked the same question now that he's become very popular and uh, speaks to hundreds of thousands of people a year and and he talked about having a men's group in houston that he's belonged to of six people for the last five or six years and he says those guys Keep me straight, you know. Yeah. If I tend to get carried away by that immense seduction yeah. of all of that energy and approval coming at me, they they try to ground me and say, "You're just John." And and yeah. here's
0: I surround myself with people who bust me all the time. I mean, that's a big secret. To mm-hmm. really empower people around you, and they just and if they empower you to bust each other, and we have these groups that meet. I'm meeting on one with one next week in New Mexico. A group that meets twice a year
3: mm-hmm.
0: we just meet for three or four days and we're all peers and we have no agenda other than to be together and we do sure circle sharing and it's amazing how straight it all gets
2: that's very interesting because i had a sense that ralph mesker might be a friend like that for you at the conference the way he talked about your friendship over the years
0: well ralph and i of course go back to uh, harvard exactly, days, but we're not uh we're not actively uh, spending time together now i
2: see but still there was a sense i got oh, in yeah, his speaking sure. that you know there, there's a real peer level there's a friendship rascals, rascals is... always know one another <laughs> <laughs> that's right let's go to david on the air here david
0: good morning ron toss
4: it's nice to have you in boulder
2: thank you david
4: um seems like the, uh, uh, the future, our future is being defined by the revolution in uh, telecommunications and the information superhighway. And uh, it's so vast and unknowable that it just bottles the brain to even think about what it might mean for us. But I would be interested to uh, ask for your thoughts on the implications of all of this information and all of this access uh, to the future, the short-term future and long-term future.
0: Uh, it's a really uh, interesting question David and I share with you the the feeling that I don't know I can uh, I can feel that what is required is that from moment to moment I stay as quiet in my mind and open as possible to hear the Gestalt anew because the whole process is changing so fast for example the nature of time the way in which people understand time there's some very profound changes through the information age the implications of that run off and off and off and off and off into infinite number of permutations so I can't really say that I can say that that we are still functioning as you know on, on a post-industrial mentality and we haven't really gotten up to the information for example the nature of community which is something I've been thinking about and lecturing about a little bit what is what is virtual reality community what does it not have what does it have um, i have a foundation that i've been connected with save f- since 1979 and we've been we used for years uh, eforum which was a a, a, commu- a uh, way of using our computers to have meetings because some of us were in uh, alaska some in india and so on and we had meetings not in real time and they were very interesting but after a while the affect in our relationship disappeared and it started to some of the deeper threads that kept us together started to be unwound just because of the medium through which we were communicating so I think we've just got to stay very uh, open and I've tried to Play with television is one of these issues uh what i see is as i try to go near the power nexus of the world society it's hard pushing just as we've been talking about before because you're trying to bring something in that is undercutting the systems that are supporting it and uh i mean i tried i really tried but i've gotten a little discouraged so I think that though since it is so much of an unknown it's a creative moment for all of us to play I don't think it's the time to throw up our hands and say we don't understand because nobody else does either and as much as the people are trying to socialize it to rip it off we're seeing how many people are undercutting that process and it may be a major democratization process that nobody is going to be able to control and that's a very exciting possibility That's as far as I can go at this moment. Well, the thing that occurs
2: to me is that this uh,
4: democratization, uh, that it's an effort to decentralize, but at the same time, the the uh, paradox is that everybody could kind of be together in one moment. Uh, So I don't know what that means. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it seems like a revolution. In uh, it's hard to know because
0: our mind socializes that stuff so fast and turns it into something that doesn't scare us and doesn't change us. You know, it's hard to know how quickly we will
2: do it in. Thank you. Thank you, David.
3: Interesting.
2: Yeah, very interesting. Uh, I guess the, the thing that comes to my mind also is uh, perhaps you could talk a little bit more about what it's like to uh, work with the medium of television. Because, uh, for instance, talking with Michael Toms in... Um, in Killarney. I interviewed him uh, actually for KGNU and he was talking about the benefits of radio and the ability of it to convey the oral tradition and activate the imagination. And when you're working with the medium of television, even though you're reaching in some sense, you think a much broader audience, um, at least from the American perspective, uh, there's that quality of habitual passivity and so on. How do you work when you're on television, Ramdas, to activate uh, yourself and, and your audience?
0: I had a very interesting moment many many years ago i i can't remember how many but it was back probably in the late 70s early 80s i was doing a television interview with a fellow named lomax in los angeles who has since died Um, and you're told when you're doing an interview to look at the interviewer but i turned and i took the red light over the camera and i made it the third eye of the individual and i looked into the middle of the camera instead of focusing on the front of the camera which news commentators do because they're reading off the screen there I focused in the middle and they got about 200 letters that week saying who was that guy he was inside my head Hmm. and I thought my isn't that interesting as a as a (laughs) a vehicle that I don't think we know how to use television because we uh, we keep uh, disempowering it through the kind of homogenization motivation and the technology is too ponderous still i can't tell you how many times i go into a studio to do a show and i start and they say hold it the lighting isn't quite right excuse me take it again and i'm not an actor you know you're just saying i've had the most wonderful experience in my hold it (laughs) i've had the most wonderful experience hold it i've had the most you know and after a while it turns into another vibration it's a different thing it's coming from a different energy space Mm -hmm. and uh what i very rarely had the opportunity to be in a television studio where i have not been totally at the mercy of the technology and that not only that and that's after you've gotten in there when you're at the mercy of the financial people first so you're running through a series of obstacles to get mm-hmm. to the point where you could share truth mm-hmm. i remember once seeing an interview show that very much impressed me alan ginsburg was being interviewed by uh... I don't know who it was, uh, Phil Donna, here, or somebody like that. And he walked onto the stage with his backpack and he looked like he was just on the street. And I remember how jarring it was to me because everybody else in the whole game was made up to be on television and had a certain persona. And his persona didn't shake. He was deep enough in his own being. And I called him afterwards. I said, Alan, I'm really impressed. That was very touching. Mm-hmm. And that was a model for me about how to learn how to just be who you are.
2: It's very interesting because it's an interesting metaphor for the dominant culture altogether. You know, as Michael Toms was saying about if you are uh, finding yourself um, moving into a different lifestyle than that which is the norm because it seems to fit more your own heart need or your own soul need, um, and you're moving toward the margins, whether you like it or not, that uh, uh, you have that sense of the dominant culture and then the need to ground yourself very deeply enough in your own personal um but if you're but the cultivation of compassion means
0: that you also appreciate what the mainstream consciousness is about and why those people are the way they are and instead of making them into them they're that part of us i mean the pseudopod is out from the thing doing its thing but it's still connected to the to the cell you know to the cellular structure and i think that uh that's part of what compassion is is to realize there's no them. This is just, we all have our parts to play in systems that are interdependent. And I feel very much part of a system of which Bob Dole is part. It's just the question of where us keeps moving. And as long as I don't define it into a polarization, there is a real chance the whole organism can move together.
2: Yeah, I was thinking more of Alan just kind of moving onto the stage, you know, in his normal being, you know, without uh, having particularly um maybe a kind of challenging aspect about that i know one of the things abby hoffman used to experiment with was the kind of epate yeah. le bourgeois you know like let's do something outrageous in order to yes. stimulate a yes. very self-conscious and work. alan
0: has that in him i mean the, the beats always had that kind of challenge to the system in it mm-hmm. that i think is is i think alan probably doesn't have that so much now because that as compassion develops that one is just not a functional thing why mm-hmm. would you want to do that mm-hmm. Like the Dolly Lem says, why would I be angry at the Chinese? It's not functional. It's
2: well, incredible. we're going to have an opportunity here, exactly, uh, uh, to follow up on that next week because Alan, uh, the celebration at Naropa Institute from the second to the 9th of July is going to bring together Alan and a number of the poets, you know, who've also gone through similar transformations. And uh, so, let's in the meantime take a call here from Bob. Bob, you're on the air. Don. Don, I'm sorry. Don Duncan. It's Don Duncan. Oh, hey, Don. It comes up as uh, <laughs> comes up as Bob here. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Don. <laughs> I have get a the question,
3: Ram Das. Just a, a a question, although there are many specifics I would love to get into, uh, just for the pleasure of sharing information. Uh, the general question that I have is: What is your take on alternative community in terms of a possible um, honest alternative in terms of quality of living, and perhaps a part of the solution as a part, of, as opposed to a part of the problem?
0: Um. Boy, first of all, Duncan, you have a really good audience out here. I mean, I very,
2: really get on a show where there's this much literate in <laughs> This is great. I'm delighted to hear you <laughs> say that because I think KGNU really is one of the unique public radio stations yeah. without, without being provincial. This is or... a very
0: mature dialogue. I mean, yeah. I love it. I, yeah. I, I love who I'm talking to out there. Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, that uh, uh, alternative communities are, the, are potential role models for the game. And I think that they are great experimental situations for us to examine a lot of our ideals when they're made manifest. I mean, we start, when we started alternative communities back in the 60s, we had a model of how they would work, but the predicament was that conflicting with that was our tremendous uh, new sense of empowerment of our individualism or individuality. And it's hard to run a community when you have only individuals, that has to be the sense of surrender into the common good as well, and that has to be in a free and voluntary act. And we weren't quite ready to do that, so that there are a lot of them mired down in psychological free-for-alls after a while. Um, now I think they're more sophisticated. I think that uh, experimental communities and alternative lifestyles, and uh, like I work in the with aging, uh, I'm doing a book on aging now, and the whole thing of intergenerational living systems, and systems that don't isolate older people from the rest of society. Um, they, one starts out as an experiment, and when it has power and it feeds people, it spreads like wildfire. And when it's too scary to the society, uh, like um, some of the uh, idealistic communities were in the '40s, '30s. 20s, they get wiped out because they're
2: too scary about sexual freedom, things like that. Don, are you there? I'm here. You're still there, yeah. I had gotten the wrong line. Sorry about calling you Bob there. Bob's still on the line, and we're going to get to him in a minute, but uh, now that I recognize your voice, now Uh that you've spoken, uh, do you have anything to say uh, with Ramdas here about patterns of settlement of our existing community? For instance, the kind of things you've been involved with out there in North Boulder, and the choice of whether or not to have a Uh, a large mega store, a Safeway, uh, that creates a certain kind of psychic environment as opposed to a smaller store on the alfalfas or ideal model. I know you've been involved with that. Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
3: Well, just briefly, uh, it seems to me that the very things that the folks who have made a very difficult and challenging choice uh, with regard to moving away from conventional society, so to speak, and moving to an alternative community of one sort or, or another, that it's being reflected their viewpoint and their feelings and their challenges in what's going on within conventional society as regards actual problems that come up and the old paradigm that is still being brought forth to attempt to deal with the problems that exist versus the new paradigm, which is really an old paradigm that has to do with true community, and uh, it just seems like a, an end, a never-ending story, if you will. And I think it is the never-ending story. And it'd be interesting, yeah. to hear Ramdas comment on that as well. I, I I do feel that there's a real urge back to community, and that it's you know it's you know, it's going back to the future, if you will.
2: Let me frame but, this just real briefly for you, Ramdas. On the local side, we have an issue here of whether or not to go back to what they're calling neo-traditional neighborhood. Kind of settlement or whether to move ahead with say mall based or shopping center based uh, kind of efficiency models that we've been working with in suburbia for the last say 25 years and and that sometimes they call it the new urbanism sometimes they call it neo-traditional neighborhoods but an attempt within the fabric of how we live now without going as far as alternative communities to kind of reintroduce structures that invite community rather than uh, isolation i think it's a brilliant
0: dialogue and i'm really happy the community's having that because it, uh, it faces us with the myths of progress, that progress is good and large is better, right. and it deals with small is beautiful, but also it can't be naive, because small can also be oppressive and coercive and stifle individual creativity. So uh, it's, a, it's a dialogue, you're absolutely right, it's a dialogue that continues to go on and on and on. Um, a few uh about two months ago i gave a keynote in los angeles on huxley's uh, hundredth birthday and uh i spoke about huxley's island as opposed to his brave new world because in island he has a community that is he sees as unstable because it can't handle the outer forces of the world around it they were too coercive and with this may be the situation for you as well um but uh he uh also saw that a community based on reasonableness and initiation and uh the right kind of education and collaborative love uh can serve as an important uh model into
2: the world even though it
0: may get lost after a moment
2: uh, yeah well don thanks very much uh let's get bob on the line here you've been so patient Bob are you there? Yep, yep, I'm here. Okay, please go ahead.
4: Okay, thank you very much. Um a few weeks ago, <clears throat> I was flipping through some radio stations just for fun and and I heard a Christian guy on a Christian radio station pretty much preaching to people that they should avoid um any kind of psychic experiences and and you know, the way I took it, he was telling people to avoid religious experiences. And you know, those of us that have knowledge about truth and love, you know, know that that's certainly not what Jesus was trying to get across. And so, you know, what I wonder is if, um, if you've made any speeches or lectures to clergies, you know, the, the teachers of the Christian people, cause they're trying to, to do the right thing, you know, but I, I feel that they're all pretty lost and they're too afraid of everything. But, you know, it really sickened me and made me mad when I heard that, you know, and, you know, people that know should maybe be trying to, you know, get the teachers of these other people to, to open their eyes up. You know, I don't know if there's any hope, but have you had any luck?
0: Um, it's an interesting uh, issue. I've um, I've certainly spoken with them, um, and there are ways in which we can meet around our love of the direct teachings of Christ without getting lost in the Jesus story or getting lost in Christianity, which tends to be somewhat oppressive. Yeah. Um, but uh, recently I gave a lecture uh, to the um, uh, a conservative Jewish community, uh university in Los Angeles in Beverly Hills. And as I was born a Jew, this was an interesting moment for somebody named Ramdas and uh uh what I pointed out was that um I was forced by the Halachic laws to de- assess The visions that I had had and the direct experiences as to their validity as to whether or not they agreed with Moses and what had what he had seen and the fact that I might have had a vision that was different than that made me defined as a false prophet and that that was a technical thing and that I was not ready to give up the the sense of my own intuitive validity of something because that's what all religions are based on anyway and I was not turning it over to a book or another person but in that sense i ended up as a false prophet in the system and i think that that's something you that your pointing point is well taken that an institution that is based on a traditional interpretation is going to be threatened by new information so that all the saints are dead all the visionaries are dead that's the only safe way for an institution to stabilize itself because otherwise if christ comes today he'd probably turn over I'd like to tell a very quick story. It takes a minute. Do we have time? Yes, we do. We have about three minutes. Okay. Uh, there's a great guy named Milton Friedman. He's not the economist. He's this guy who writes speeches in the White House for a while. And Milton got a call one day and said, is this Milton Friedman, Dr. Milton Friedman? He said, yes. They, said, well, they thought it was the other Milton Friedman. They said, well, uh, we represent a church in California that has a lot of excess funds, and we wonder if um, you could help advise us as to how to invest them. So Milton Friedman, my friend, said, have you considered giving them to the poor? In which the church answered, is this the Mil- real Milton Friedman? <laughs> to which Milton Friedman answered, is this the real church? <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's beautiful. Yep. Yeah. Bob, do you have any final comment?
4: Well, um, you know, i I just think it's real obvious that people are waking up, you know, all over the world, and it's just a real shame that, you know, so many people, you know, masses of people are misled, and... and
0: yeah, but you've got to realize those are all stages of transitions and roots of fear. I think it is unfortunate, but it's the way the human system works. And you've got to see that into Christianity is coming a lot of the new movements in which people are having, speaking in tongues, and coming... that's all part of a process that's forcing the Pope to uh, squirm a
2: little bit on his throne and reconsider his position as well. Yeah, Bob, we we might share with you one of the things that happened at that conference in Killarney was Elizabeth Satoris, uh, the ethnobiologist, gave a a presentation. She's written a book on Gaia, and she quoted, uh, to speak of Christ, uh, the section from the Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky called The Grand Inquisitor, where Christ does come back a second time. And this time he's actually condemned to death by the church on the grounds that the Gospel of freedom and responsibility and authenticity that he's preaching is unwelcome to the people that they really do want to be told what to do and how to think and therefore in the that's name right. of the people he's condemned to death a second time and that that's basically part of human nature that we all need to work with with compassion as Ramdas is saying so so Ramdas we have about a minute here Would, I, the one thing I want to ask you about a very funny thing happened in 1974 when I was introducing you I quite um, you know ingenuously said and uh, the next person is Ramdas formerly Richard Alpert and uh, you kind of joked a little later in the panel saying, I seem to be the only one here with two names. <laughs> and, uh, and I understand that now you're starting to use your name, Richard Alpert, again a bit. And I thought maybe this might be a nice way to end, uh, kind of bring things full circle as we were talking.
0: Actually, the name that in the recent newspaper was Reuven Ben Chaim Yosef, a.k.a. Ramdai. So there's a third one coming through. <laughs> Terrific. <laughs> so I realize I have no name, so mm-hmm. any name seems to be whatever is functional is fine with me.